Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. show of the year. Woo! We made it. We made it. Hallelujah. I think everybody can say we made it crawling, fighting, or running across the finish line. Actually, 2020 for us has been quite a prosperous, beneficial, fruitful year. Um, we're coming out on top, and we have to give God the praise and the glory for that. Today, we are addressing a very special topic about judging and assessing, the difference between the power of assessing, the power of assessment. So, of course, today we're going to hone in on assessing your prophetic self. Uh, of course, our one only author, Dr. Paul Price, will be here, as well as our Chief Prophet, Paul Price, and Assistant Chief Prophet, Angela Powers. And we're going to be tackling this issue as advisors and as ministers, apostles, and prophets in the kingdom. I have with me some assessment results, one of them being my own. From back in the day, my uh, PAQ, my prophetic aptitude questionnaire that I took when I was still in the prophet's office serving as the assistant chief prophet. And so when I went back, I look at mine probably about once a year still, every other year. And I haven't really looked at this since I was commissioned. And I saw some nuances in there that always told me I should be in the apostle's office, but not yet. Back then it was definitely not yet. And I know God must have blinded my eyes to even see it, because I probably would have went at the idea. But how many of you can definitely say, oh, we need to know how to assess prophecy? We need to know how to, the difference between judging and assessing. Look at this year. Just this year, politically speaking, uh, coronavirus. If you go back to the words we heard at the top of 2020 and how this year played out, we will find some very interesting things. Now, just because crazy things happen doesn't mean that extraordinarily good prophecies were false. Because we had a lot of crazy happen. But in our organization, we've grown financially. We've grown in numbers. We're moving into an extraordinarily new, huge building. So in the midst of it all, prosperity has hit us. Breakthrough has hit us. Promotion has hit us. We're going to uh, show you when Dr. Price gets here where she was last night where we were in Oklahoma. Open doors, opportunities all over the place that you don't know is happening. So you can't just take what you see in the media as a means to judge what was right and what was wrong. You have to literally pick apart and go through and say, no, somebody completely missed it. You have people who just gave those New Year's happy time words. God loves everybody. He's so happy with everyone. You've been so faithful. I don't know who needs to hear this, but... Yeah, sometimes I say that, but I, I say it because I really don't know. But that's because... <laughs> usually when I'm on a live broadcast, I'm like, somebody needs to hear what God is saying right now. But those blankets, I see weddings in 2020. That's not prophecy. That's obvious. People are going to be passing away. Uh-huh. 
encouraging people because some people God is not encouraging, he is correcting, although he's encouraging them in their correction. <laughs> some people he is judging, other people he's pulling down, other people he's elevating, he's shifting. There are so many dynamics, which is why we love this book, Assessing Your Prophetic Self. I want us to hone in on the title. Now it says, Discover and Train Your Gifts of Prophecy. This title does not say Assessing Your Prophecy. This says assessing your prophetic self. Self-assessment it, uh, requires <coughs> insight, tools, knowledge. In the beginning of, I want to say the, uh, I want to say the PAQ, for sure, the intermediate level, it talks about uh, understanding your knowledge, wisdom, insights, and potential prophetically. That's a mouthful when most of the time we're only really taught to consider you prophesying and not necessarily your prophetics or your prophetic self. Self-assessment is not what we're comfortable with in the prophetic, is it? Who are you to judge? That's, that's going to be a launch pad, I'm sure, for today. Who are you to judge? Who are you? I'm so glad you asked that question. So if you're watching right now, I want you to share this. Tag people, tag leaders, ministers, up-and-coming prophets, apostles. It doesn't even matter what office you're sitting in right now because we, are, we will probably be specific about the prophetic, but also in general about judging and assessing. What are we judging? What are we assessing? How are we doing it? Whenever you, have you ever challenged a prophetic word? How do you know that's God? How do you know that's the Lord? Some people have prophesied things to me. I'm like, no. No, nope. this is your husband. No, he's not. I had a vision. I had a dream. I saw that is not of God. How do, you, how do you know? How do you know? How many dreams have you had about people getting together that were not correct? Are they still, did, did, did they get together and stay together? You know, when you look at like those Match.com and all that kind of stuff, statistics of how many people get together, I want to know how many people stay together. Ten years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, how many? Can anybody tell me? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand up and shift so we can do the set do the setup since we're, we're in a different setup today follow us we're moving we're shifting all right am i should i stand along by the globe <laughs> can you move the light over we just need to shift the lighting so we can shift the camera as you can see we have our difference that we've hijacked somebody else's it's wonderful to be in a studio because you can you can really just do just move the lights over out mm-hmm. huh. and so with assessment you have got to have a measure of intelligence and standards. Now, look, I know we, these are like bad words in the body of Christ, but this is a holiday season, and we assess all the time. We say, oh, that is, come on, that is grandma's sweet potato pie recipe. Yes. And you are now basing every, <coughs> excuse me, everybody else's sweet potatoes <coughs> on grandma's. You've made an assessment. You've judged, oh, I have orange juice here. You've judged the entire world on grandma. You're looking at Patty LaBelle, 
you're looking at everybody else's because she can handle it, okay? But you're like, uh, but but you're but you're gonna come back to, but how does it taste compared to grandma's? Okay, collard greens. Don't Dr. Price said, don't mess up a collard green because my great auntie so and so does it the way I like it. So every collard green that crosses your plate, first you look at it, you smell it, you hold it up under the light, you're like, oh, I don't even know. Just have enough vinegar. Were these scrubbed right? I don't know because, you know, if you don't get all that grit out, then you just, uh, and you haven't even tasted it yet. And you judge somebody's character on their ability to cook collard greens. Come on with the mac and cheese now. A moment of silence for the mac and cheese. Yes. So, if you if you are bringing mac and cheese to dinner, you need to be vetted. <laughs> so we start with. So what's your idea of mac and cheese? Is it soft and creamy? Is it baked in the oven? Do you put a little something on top? Is it velvet? Don't bring that around the price palace. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You you will feel judged if you do. <laughs> you will feel judged and condemned. If don't don't and so and then you begin to have the soft. Well, how did you how do you cook it in your house? I'll tell you how we cook it in in my house to see if you should give license and authorization to somebody actually bringing the mac and cheese to dinner. I had somebody. I was at dinner uh, with all the older Masons the other year, and they had a friend who brought uh, somebody else's mac and cheese, and we said, don't let them cook. Don't bring that again. <laughs> no. They, they wanted to send it with me to come to the church. I said, if I bring this to my church, I, w- I will be excommunicated for bringing that. <laughs> and it was hilarious. It was so funny because nobody really wanted to touch it <laughs> because somebody else, they was like, oh, you want to take it? Mm-mm, you're not trying to give me a gift here. It's true. So we believe in assessing. We believe in judging. We just don't believe it that it's for the body of Christ which is, in fact, where it all started, with the Lord. And, and so we will kick folk out. Don't bring what kind of, I'll bring you cranberry. Now, when you say cranberry, because we get very judgmental around Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner, very judgmental. We made announcements in our church. Don't volunteer for anything. Don't ask us. We'll ask you, maybe. And if we don't ask you, then, and please don't be offended. Don't. Just don't. And, <laughs> judgment call. We assess based on standards, preferences, all kinds of things, and come to judgments and decisions every single day, every day. Is this hair, does this work for me? And, you know, around here, is this too big, is this too small? Like before the broadcast, I was like, is this on straight? I mean, is, it, is, the, is the hairline right? Do you, and see, if you wear hair, if you wear hair, you know it can creep on you. It can move. It can move. It can move on you. Now, mine is anchored down. Okay, it's hooked through. It's crocheted in, so it shouldn't be moving. But you always have to check. Did it move? Is it? Did it shift? It is shifted. Is there a shift in my hairline? And so you have to. You have got to know. You have to know. Okay? Let's make it. Is this right? Is this? Should I? Okay? So, come on. We make judgments every day. And we're... I'm saying things that are funny, but it's still proving the point that we shouldn't walk out of the house without making some serious judgments about ourselves every day. Typically, it starts superficially. Let's talk about fragrance, odor, grooming, 
all these things, we have mirrors so we can make sure that we are judging ourselves before other people do. So we do believe in it on a superficial level. We believe, we do believe in that. And, uh, you know, you have the clothing situation. People are in denial. Like when, when you gain weight, we laughed about this the other day. When you gain weight and, like, you've, you've, out, you've outgained your wardrobe and you're in denial <clears throat> that you're no longer whatever size is the majority of your closet, and so you're still trying to get in, and you're like, I just don't want to buy new clothes. I don't want to accept that I'm this size. Accept it. <laughs> accept it so you can look your best. You can look your best. I just need to lose weight, but you're not. You're probably not there. You're not there, all right? <laughs> and so we, sometimes we don't like the judgments that we have to make about ourselves. We don't want to see the truth about us. Now, everybody else can see it when we're not in the mirror. They see the truth. Don't take this picture and put it up. This is actually what we see every day. We see you looking like this every day. You don't want it as a picture, but this is actually how we see you look like this every day. (laughs) Don't put that picture up of me. That is how we see you. And so, you know, we sometimes disconnect. But we've made a judgment. I am not my personal best for whatever reason. Sometimes it's on purpose because you just don't care until somebody takes your picture and you realize you do care. You're not going to put that on Facebook, are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was. And so as we jump into this honestly very serious subject, just understanding and setting the stage that we do believe in judging and we believe in judging ourselves. We just don't want other people to do it. Yet it happens every day anyway. This is where we are, what we face, taking the lead. Can we talk about where you were last night? Great! Because we have a picture and everything. Yeah, they're going to post it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, no, Last night, uh, Dr. Price had the privilege of having dinner with Governor Sitt and his family, who is the Oklahoma governor. And so, yeah, at the governor's mansion. In, yes, yes, they, they want the pictures. Uh, in Oklahoma City, and in June, when Vice President Pence was in Tulsa, uh, Governor Sitt was a part of that meeting as the governor of the state as well as Senator Lankford, and he said to Dr. Price, you know, in June, they were like, you can't hug, Vice President couldn't shake hands. You think Governor Stick cared? He was like, Dr. Price! <laughs> and so he gives her this big old hug. Now, he's 6'6", six, six? I don't know, he's somewhere around there in that neighborhood, uh, in the six-foot-six realm, and so he's like, Dr. Price, he's like, I want to have you to the governor's mansion. And so we were like, wow, okay. And, of course, this year it turned out to be what it was. And so last night one of the things he said was, you didn't think I was going to do it, did you? <laughs> and she said, well, based on this year, she said, I know you're a man of your word. I've been told that you're a man of your word, but all of these activities. And so um, they, were, they were so blessed by her story in June. And in four minutes she was able to tell her story in a nutshell, talk about, well, she started off by talking about how she wrote Money is a Spirit to the Vice President, her story and how just a a recommendation for the approach to certain things. That's the short version of it. And so she said that much of it. And that so blew them away because First Lady Sarah, one of her passions 
is mental health, soul of success in our in our language, and hope. And and so that was that greatly inspired them. And so we came back around, had a great time. Wonderful, wonderful family, beautiful family, um, just amazing hosts, Christians, and his father was a pastor. And so it was just great, <laughs> a great time. And so uh, we were just like, hey, <laughs> dinner with the governor, Ooh. the governor's mansion, and it was a blessing to be there and a blessing to meet them. And we we enjoyed the decoration, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it's it, it, you turn me down. I'm a little bit loud, but it is it, it, it was, um, you know, this is a passionate family, passionate about the Lord. This has been the year that I'm meeting God's real powers, but his passionate powers, those that are passionate yes. for the Lord Jesus Christ. This has been that year for me, and I've, I'm grateful to God because I have, you know, in the midst of our battles, we had amazing breakthrough, yes. which goes to show breakthrough and battle and battle and breakthrough kind of go together. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. Break, and break. So, break, yeah, break. break. See the break. break. And so, uh, but it was, it was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I, just, I just fell in love with them. And just being where God's people really love him yeah. and really adore him and that it's genuine, genuine love. We, no, this is for God. We, you know, we're going to do this for the king, not, not in a religious context, but in a long time ago, we, Jesus and I hooked up and we never broke up. Mm. See, sometimes when we never broke up, see, a lot of people hooked up with Jesus, but he said you must endure to the end. God mm-hmm. is excited about the incomers, mm-hmm. but the... And conquerors is what thrills his soul. You know, do you go out with Christ? So we had a blast. You know, we're not going out. You know, we're going out. So we're going to go out with Jesus Christ, you know. Well, I'm excited about today. We are going to have a phenomenal uh, time. You know, I always love it when I have my team. There is... There's something about knowing that you produce fruit that can carry it on and carry it out and even fill in the gaps that you left, whether they're time uh, gaps, um, season gaps, opportunity, resources, it doesn't matter. So I'm thrilled about today. Today we're going to talk about assessment. Now, why did I choose that subject? I chose it because... Usually at the end of the year is when we start taking stock of ourselves. We take stock of our, 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 what do we do this year? We take inventory of our progress, our improvements, our deficit. And, and, and we do that usually at the end of the year so that we kick off, you know, the January is the famous resolution month. You know, you know I mean, you know, gyms say that's their largest sign up. They're going to get a lot of free money that year. Um, you know. <laughs> Free money because people are gonna, we're going to show up for three months maybe, and then after that we're just going to just 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 take it out and I'll just just keep it going. So we know that we know that there are a lot of resolutions. We're going to stop eating this or supermarket because we're going to be moving health food, you know, and nutritional items that's going to happen. We we know that we know that self help, you know, uh, programs spike. Because of that. So that's common. That's normal. What is not always normal is that we do it as Christians. You know, Christians have a sense of complacency. We are okay. And whatever's not okay, it's on God to fix. Now, we don't pay attention to the fact that God has needs our will and cooperation. 
we don't pay attention to that. We should, but we don't. So when you think about assessment that's typical uh, Christian, not all, because we have some, some of those denominationals, you're going you're gonna to hit this 10-point list, and if you miss the 10th point, we love you, we're not going to use you. But, you know, so we have, you know, universities who you can't even get into college without an assessment. They need to know where to fit you, where to place you, and also if you'll succeed. Because no university wants to take in 5,000 students and only 1,500 succeed. That's not, because people don't say that people were wrong. We say that the assessment was wrong. The judgment, the gauge were wrong. So we, we, but when it comes to the church, particularly when it comes to the offices and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we don't feel that they are accessible. When I stepped out as a prophet, I was told you couldn't assess prophets. I was told that it was almost arrogant, if not sacrilegious, to attempt to assess a prophet. That was, you know, I sat in the Jersey here across the country, so it's not any one geographic location. But the belief was that, if these were spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts were not accessible, nor were they mineable, meaning you couldn't mine them for harvest. You couldn't find them for, you know, we, they were, we, we met people's gifts in their performance. We also lost their credibility in their performance. So I, undaunted by that, I was not impressed. I was like, I don't, if it's human, if it's behavioral, if it's performable, if it's doable, if it's executable, actionable, then we can assess it. But you can't assess without criteria. You must have criteria to assess because you have to have – assessment is about contrast and comparison. If you haven't told your team and your leaders to get online uh, right now, particularly if you are a, an educator, spiritual, or academic, because we have both, you need to tell your people to get online. So the, thing, the first thing, there are three C's to assessment you must know about, criteria, contrast, and comparison. Criteria, contrast, and comparison. It is important that you that that's the first thing, that's the last thing, that's the jumping off. Now, when you speak to criteria, you're speaking to that which will give you the ability to compare. Now, comparison is like for like to find the better or the lesser in it. Contrast is finding opposite, opposing values. So if, you, if you're not, if, if you're a person that cannot assess people um, or you like to judge people, we need to know your criteria. We need to know what you're basing it on. I love how she introduced this on judging. We have a section in my book that I will be going over in this book about judging, and it pretty much sums up what she said. Assessment is, an, is one aspect of judging, okay? And, and it's not necessarily opinionating or opining. Assessment literally cannot happen without criteria, and other factors. Judging just needs your sentiment, your opinion, your perceptions, your experiences, 
your inner self, your emotional self. Assessment is more formalized. It requires something to compare against, measurement. So assessment measures and gauges, scales, classifies, qualifies, and quantifies. Now, I know there was a lot, but you can listen to this again and again until you break it down. So when we start talking about assessing an office over a gifting, there has to be criteria that distinguish one from another. Is that not true? We need criteria to distinguish one from another. Otherwise, we cannot differentiate. We can't tell the difference. And so because we haven't bothered to to, study standardize and normalize criteria, we can, it's a debate. Well, you say office, I say gifting. Well, I say gifting, you say office. But, but remember, gifts belong to the individual. And assessments of that type have different criteria than the, than the office that belongs to the institution. You know, you're in the office of. You are the representative of. So the first thing you need to know is one is one is personal, individual, and the other one is corporate, can be universal, but certainly it's organizational and institutional. You have to know that. In 1993, I released a book called Constructing the Contemporary Prophet. The reason I wrote that book was because there was no criteria to measure profits, and I wasn't going to be a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants-winged profit. I was not going to do that because that, that was not my life, and that was not my upbringing, but certainly it was not my career. My career, we needed measurements. I was, I was in technology. I was in communications, and you need to be specific. As you found out, lose your password. Remember all but the last digit on your pa- That's your password. That little thing, whatever that character is, you've lost. I don't know. I think it's interesting that they call it character because it's impression. And so I was not going to do that. So I wrote a manual, uh, eight and a half by 11, 398 pages on constructing the contemporary process. I think we only have one and two in existence right now. Don't look at me like that. Yeah, I know, but you don't get up off of it. Okay. So how's that helpful? <laughs> Do you have one? Yeah, I remember yours. Yours is beat up. Isn't it all torn up and raggedy and carrying on? I think you had to put it in a binder. Oh, excuse me. Are you sharing? Okay. So do not ask them <laughs> because they're not giving it up. A lot of you out there, but it revolutionized not only the profit but ministry in general. And so it made its rounds, but it, it, it came out in the era of the heyday of the gifting and, and, and individuality. We individuated ministry. Ministry was always, and that's what offices take away. It takes away that individuation, that individual, the, the habit of this is how I see it, this is how it happened. Do you understand that even in the academic arena, Satan used that personalized, subjective, and biased uh, uh, method to destabilize the institution and the pillars of community. So everything is subjective. It's, a, it's how you see it. And, and so 
it, why, what does that do? That keeps us in constant combat. But it also keeps us out of the sphere of effectiveness and excellence. Because while we're fighting, we're not pursuing. And while we are resisting, we're not becoming. So when you think of it, assessment does away with that. Now, we always had assessments. And, and they, to be sure, there is a lot to argue with, to take issue with. I don't dispute that. But there's a lot to take issue with in the legal profession, in, every, in teaching, in law, and cops, police, and all of that. But we, we, we have to see how much the good outweighs. And then do, can we have consensus on what's good and what isn't? So most ministers today operate on their gifting, which means that their gift is never, ever co correlated with an office, an official function. In, in, in my having done constructing the contemporary prophet, I then moved on to using that foundation to write the dictionary. You understand that if you can write a dictionary, you pretty much understand criteria, not just definitions. And I wrote the dictionary to move us from the gift-dominated mentality and consciousness and language into the office, because when Scripture talks about ministry, it's talking about office. I looked up the terms. I studied them. It took me a lot of years to, to pull it together. We must have had, what, three iterations of the dictionary before we finally got it where we need it. And it's still, where it is today, it can, I can actually do ten more volumes of the dictionary, if, it were, if I could. Um, I could do ten more volumes, because that's, we can have literally a criterial library to handle this. So I moved into the dictionary. From the dictionary, I was able to develop curricula. Between constructing the contemporary prophet and the dictionary, I was able to develop curricula. Now, the dictionary came forth with 1,600 terms. As I said, I can do five more volumes and not blink. Okay, that's saying a lot, but it is. From there, I was able to write the curricula and then what was born out of the entire body of criterial information that I produced was the online assessment. The assessments took me, I don't know, almost a decade to do, but I'm, if they weren't as difficult as they would have been if there were no criteria, if there were no standards, if we did not have norms. So I wrote this, this information and I, I developed the standardized ministry assessment. And I did it based on the fact that we need to differentiate the person who's moving by their gift from the person who's executing their office. And they are two different dimensions, two different parameters, two different paradigms. Because when you're engaged to do something for someone else, your gift no longer is at your disposal. Your gift is put at their disposal. That's what makes it an office. You know, people in an office. I didn't know if I had a follow-up comment as much as I had uh, just a slow, we have to matrix that statement. You can't just go and just say that and keep running on with the thought because that's not something we've heard of when we talk about the gift versus office, you know, dispute or debate that the gift, obviously, individual, but your 
office makes it at the disposal of the people. Exactly. Using it for that. Can you elaborate on what that would actually look like since we're talking about standards, criteria, practices, and norms? Yes. And, and, and make sure you remember those words. Say them again, just, just for the record, so that they remember these. This is the quad for assessment. I call it the assessment quad. Standards, criteria, practices, norms. Let's, let's say it again. Everybody in the audience, let's all say it together. Standards, Standards criteria, practices, norms. If you are not cognizant of those, if you're not curious about them, if you are not influenced by them, then you're operating at a, as an individualized gift or individuated gift. And you don't care about where it fits in the scheme of life. You care about your exercise of your gift or expression of what God gave you. Where it lands, it doesn't matter. You know, God's particular about snow. It may snow all over a city, but it doesn't snow all over the nation unless he decides it. Mountains get snow all the time. That's why there's snow-capped mountaintops. So when your gift is, so, is more important than its benefit, Oh, she got to oh, pull that bell. She said, pull that bell. Yeah. We're going to share the bell. Oh, Lord. But understand, your, if your gift is if, if expressing your gift, which is what we've seen, you know, especially Facebook has really brought a lot of this, this recklessness and this irresponsibility to light. And so when your gift is more important than the benefits that it's supposed to be, you understand, then you are a reckless exerciser. You're not an operator of an office. You're not an operative. You are a reckless exerciser. Your voice is the most important thing. What The words you don't matter. So when we talk about your gift being brought to someone else's disposal, we're talking about when you hear the uh, various leaders say, I serve at the behest of. I serve at the leisure of, at the pleasure of. That means I'm talented and I'm great in my own right, but as Proverbs said, my greatness brought me before kings. So I don't serve the insignificant. I don't serve the mediocre. I don't serve the substandard. We, we focus on your gifts making room for you to the point that we forget just because you are get an audience with a High power doesn't mean that you get an a, a position. You may get an, you know, you can get a little, op, you know, a little op thing, but you don't have a position. Your gift does not make you positionable or placeable. Your your comprehension of a, of responsibility and duty and protection and guardianship. These people. These prophesiers out here, they're not guarding. Gifts don't guard anybody but the individual, but their owner. Your gift guards you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what's so true about that is when you, how you can tell the difference between the gifter and the officer just by that statement mm-hmm. is that when you approach a gifter about, you know, you come back to ask for qualifications or questions or you, you know, want to scrutinize Don't or judge the word, right? 
You know the first mm-hmm. their first response is, I don't care. I got this from God. You can't tell me. And they start defending them, the gifter, mm-hmm. not what the word was supposed to do, as you said, for the benefit of the mm-hmm. hearer mm-hmm. or the audience. They defend themselves, don't they? They become very possessive. It's my gift. It's my anointing. You can't tell me. You can't judge me. You don't know. And you're absolutely right. The first thing they use their mm-hmm. gift for is to protect themselves. Because they're being themselves. They're not being a representative. Because the word represent means to present the sender before an audience. So you represent. That, the re part means the sender represents or re, rewrites itself or himself in you for you to present that sender to others. That's why what John said, I must decrease. Why is he saying it? Because I'm an officer. Officers know they need to decrease. Officers know that people shouldn't see them. They need to send their sender and the organization. Officers know that their opinions can get them fired. Criteria. 
What you got one criteria? Well, he one, one attribute. He's love. So when you talk about a, a talk, when you want to tell somebody that you can't be judged, you need to recognize that you need to understand your criteria, the criteria of the activity you just imposed on us. The character of God has to show forth in prophecy because he's the author of it. who mean well won't even say God said they'll say but I sin you know I feel why because the definitives of office are not operating in them you cannot be definite because you don't have the definitive as we go forward I want to because we have a, a lot to discuss hang with us we have a lot to discuss and we're going to cover this because the body of Christ needs this going forward into the, uh, you know, 2021. We, we need this. And, and, and so when you decide to stand up against an officer, make sure that you can define as well as defend yourself or defend your definition because we can. I had a young brother who did that. I sure did. And I think I only had two in my days. Most people, no. When when you say I wrote the first book on that that talked about gift versus office, people pretty much think you know. Now I have, I, you know, you have this young thing, this young generation. A lot of them, they don't even know assessment. They can't even understand contrast and comparisons and engagement and measurements and all of those kinds of things. They can't even do that. Did you know gaugement is a word? G a u g e m e n t is a word. You, you, you only have to work in PowerPoint 30 seconds to understand what the word scalable means. Isn't that right? You understand that you run the Internet once and you realize that there's a difference between categories and classification. See, all of that you should be able to do, if you're going to sit in a high seat, you should be able to do like this. And you ought to have recognizable indicators that explain it. So when I, when I, and so when I sat down and left his little, I just came out the warm heart. Okay. And so he began to, um, you know, who are you? I'm Dr. Price. Who are you? Um, and whatever, I'm an apostle. Now, you like half my age. You would think that if you're half my age, I, that means I got twice as many days on the planet as you got. That means I have twice as many experiences that you did. Even by accident or incident or episode. So, and, and I'm sitting here with my team. He didn't even care. And he said, well, I, won't, I wouldn't call you an apostle because I wouldn't call any woman an apostle. I loved it. It was really wonderful. I, to, yeah, this is, this is recent. This is recent. And I said, well, I can appreciate that because I will call you a prophet. He said, well, I said, I don't call you a prophet. 
Now, whether you understand why you don't call me an apostle is one thing, but I can tell you why I don't call you a prophet. Number one, the spirit of the prophet is not on you. That's why you thumper. Number two, the, the mantle doesn't talk to you. You don't execute the mantle. I said, the next thing I want to tell you is that the realm of the prophet doesn't open to you. You have to push into it. It's not downloading to you. And I ran down the whole list. Now, tell me who's who. Tell me who's who. I've got over 25,000 pages of text that I wrote out of my research and out of my time with God to tell me why you're not a prophet. That's it's your gift. So I thought to myself, is that apostle enough for you? Because apostles are supposed to be able to do that. That's what Paul got us. We got this from an apostle. We got this from a prophet. You know, so when you when you decide that you want to stand up against these old guards, you better know what you're talking about. Yes. So then you walk away, and the only thing you can say about me today is that you don't like me. Well, I can understand that. I mean, that's a that's a that's a very human, childish response. So when I tell you you're not a prophet, I'm going to run down the criteria, and you're going to see where I got it from. And when I tell you that you're not a fivefold, my assessment will take you out of ministry. Is that true? None of the answers you chose indicate any call to ministry. So the other thing that I want to say before we get to the class. <laughs> Does it say here or not? It has below accessible range, below accessible range, below accessible range, and you get too many below accessible ranges, it's going to say take another assessment. Not a lot of prophets out there today are advanced. And most of them are low-end media, intermediate. Now, we're getting ready to get a larger pool and larger pot, and I think we're going to be excited. Most people have no idea, have been my advisors, and they don't even know what the top-tier reports will say because we haven't had a lot of people to hit them. Mm-hmm. She's the only one. Uh, and, and we're talking about thousands of assessees over its life. What, what I was able to do was to create a career path, a monetized career path for apostles and prophets, where those spiritual, that spiritual acumen and faculties and, and all of that can be now used in more than chasing people down the parking lot, hamming them up in the bathroom and all of that kind of stuff. Now they get to do what the prophet originally did was to be consultant and advisor. And so they take, they're going to talk to you about that once this is over. They take what, they, what the results of the assessment spit out, and they review them with the assessment and become mentors. They are not mentors by instinct. They're mentors by instinct, information, and intelligence. I thought that would be nice. So we're going to look at, let me just make sure I got this in the right place because it looks like something is not coming up the way it should. All right. Let's see if that's going to help. So I want you to see where we go next. I'm going to introduce you to something 
that you're not thought about. A diagnostic tool. Assessment enables you to diagnose. Criteria enables you to assess. Assess enables you to diagnose. What do we diagnose? I like the word diagnose because it's a diagnostic gnosis. So it enables you to cross, crisscross information to decide, uh, to arrive at a an opinion or a statement on a someone's current existence, state of affairs, situation, you name it. Now, let's go and see what that means. How to assess servants, services, workers, initiatives, actions, and performance. You all are upset with the church right now because you have no way to protect yourself from it, from its leaders, to affirm who you are, to sow your money to the right person and not just the charismatic one. You have no way, and so you're not getting a harvest on what you're doing, on your faith and your trust in God's leaders and his ministry. If you look at the bottom, you see the, 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 the one thing you have to do is you have to have ranges. Ranges are important. So in the bottom, you see zero to uh, one and two are undetected. That means that any questions that were so far off the confirmation or affirmation point that it, it had to be undetected. It showed that that particular question, the subject or issue that it is talking about, is undetected in you. When I said to this brother, I'm sorry, baby, but these are things that are not detectable in you right now. I don't doubt to the fact that you can't assess an apostle. You can't recognize or get up yours. The church is so filled with this arrogance that never recognized it's only seen things from one side. I just don't call you an apostle. Prove it. Give me, so you want to deal with genetics. You want to deal with my gender, and you don't want to deal with God's new creation. So again, three, four, five, and six on target signs. So you, we, that's just language for this one. You can put any language in there, but this is that middle ground. It shows up. Now, if you got three, it shows up, but it's not doing much. If you got four, it shows up and it's operating, but intermittently. Very sporadic. Sporadic. If you got five, it shows up and it's reliable most times. If you got six, it's not only showing up reliably, but it's ready to move into the next sphere or the next range. Seven, eight, nine, and ten. We call it successes prayed. You can do whatever you want, but this is what we talk about. So this assessment comes from a class that I have. If you're interested in the class, let me know, because it's a, it's a closed class. It is not open enrollment, because why give all of this information to folks who can't do anything with it? In addition, if you decide that today was really a good day, we have a special on the assessment. All of this is January 31st. They're going to tell you what that is. Uh, you need to come get involved in that because I'll always get it. Thank you. See, you didn't need me to help. Okay. So the idea of this is engageable performance measures guide. Okay. You need to be able to measure the performance of those you engage to do anything in your organization, even in your house. You know, you assess your kids. Well, you know, Bobby, he just never gets that right. Get better over the salad. All right? This, is, this tool is for verifying, weighting, rating, scales with explanations. You're going to appreciate this as we go forward. And the reason we're doing this first is to bring the entire table 
into the mindset, the consciousness of what we're doing. Now, if you look on your screen right now, you see a tree. That is literally the assessment tree that I developed. And it rely, assessments relies on benchmark, rely on benchmark. Now, remember, when you, we just left zero, one, two, three, and then middle ground, four, five, six, and then benchmark. So now we have to set benchmarks. You can't say, well, so-and-so sings real good, so we're going to use it. Does she sing good enough for what you need? Does she have the repertoire that you need? Can she flow or he flow the way you want? You have to have it. You make a judgment call. You just never put the numbers down or the values down. So, you, so every about, and we've come as the body of Christ, our, in our mind, anything we do and say is God has an acceptable value. So everything is acceptable, even if it's not accessible. What if we grew up? What if we took control? Do you know that it is, it is an established fact that goes all the way back in time that organizations find themselves off, off course, regain trust and credibility if they take the initiative in correcting themselves. So if we fix this, we won't need an outsider to fix it for us. Because you look on this, there's a stack of books, but that, all of that, we're talking about, it involves surveys, it involves reviews, measurements, ratings, and, 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 and calculations, evaluations, and success factors. So let's see what the next thing is. So what is assessment? Assessment is a tool used to measure, gauge, appraise, evaluate, judge, the qualitative work of a person or thing, and it, it should be quantitative consistency. To put that down in there, but when you see it again, it'll be there. An assessment is a tool used to measure, gauge, appraise. Do you know the word assessment comes from appraisal? An appraisal is to explore, to determine the worth and value of, for the sake of cost and economy, remuneration, compensation. The reason you assess is for compensation. And the reason that you do that is because you have to measure how much trust you put in the person. Okay, so praise, evaluate, judge, the qualitative work of a personal thing and its quantitative consistency. So they must be qualifiable. Your criteria must be qualifiable. That means definitive and quantifiable. That means Six out of ten times you get it right, or ninety percent of the times you don't you don't measure up, or ninety five percent of the time you're in control, you dominate, you rule, and we do that. That that's the frequency factor, and the frequency plus consistency factor. So you're gonna like this one. What assessing does. There are assessments explore, they ascertain, they use, they judge, confirm, they allow you to employ people or deploy them in various functions and departments. They allow you to promote or demote. They allow you to assign or appoint someone to a position or a task. They allow you to weigh and weight performance. In other words, you hear people say lightweight, heavyweight, 
That's because somebody assessed that there's a range that says it. They enable you to set pay scales to increase or de- decrease responsibilities, duties, and trust. They allow you to award and reward people for their services, for what they do. They tell you how much you can trust them. They give you the ability to systematize everything that you have a staff to do. They actually let you measure trust. They permit you to send people and where to send them, at what class, what weight. They allow you, they tell you how to commission, how to remove a person, how to appraise, evaluate them, or evaluate them, how to gauge their service, their technical abilities, their competencies, capabilities, and even compatibility. They uh, enable you to set grades. Our assessments have grades um, um, for the positions, grade one profit, grade two, grade three, four, and five. You think that when we talk to you because we don't tell you that we know you're a grade two, that we are ignoring the fact that you think you're a grade five? that a lot of your free talking and, and your, your com- correcting and all of that, you really think that that's moving us. It's not. It's confirming our instincts. Assessment confirms instincts with intelligence and information. The assessment, because you have an instinct. So-and-so is not cutting it. You're not going to make the cut. We can't, you know, right now, I'm not a woman to say, you're not going to make the cut. Take my word for it. I don't have to. I have too many tools to tell you why you're not making the cut. We have the leadership Assessment that's how many? C7. You may not think, because you, you're, you, you know, you're, you're charismatic. You were the faith. You don't think that assessments are important. That's all right, but my institution does. Or not, here. Because you have quarterly. Why? Because things happen. You take blows in your position. Sometimes those blows compromise you, and you don't know it. You don't realize it. What you need something to flag it and to tell you you're different. Well, I got a five in this last time. Why am I only getting a two? That gives us something to explore. We get an opportunity to sit down with you and advise you and as mentors. Uh, that mentoring from your instincts is just not effective enough. So we get an opportunity to mentor you through difficult times. You lose your job. You didn't tell anybody because you're standing on faith. You have, you know, your marriage is in trouble. Your children are having a crisis. All of that goes into the variables that degrade your service. Notice the word degrade means it downgrades. So we put you in position as a four or five, but now for some reason, you can't meet the deadline. You can't adjust. You can't work with the team. You can't work with the leaders. You all of a sudden think that, you know, if, you, if a person got fired, they're going to over-exaggerate and over-accentuate what they do for God because they want to have a place where they are validated. So they'll begin to push back on leadership. They'll begin to push back on the team. They'll begin to throw their weight around. They'll begin to, you know, disregard how all of the training you did for working with the people. But that shows up in our 67 points. You don't think so, but it does. And, and so when, we, when you look at this, 32 reasons for you to assess.
Hi, Ray. Okay, but what to assess? You assess to authenticate, to validate, to produce, to prevent, to corroborate, to classify, to categorize, to rate, affirm, and lastly, to place. Putting people in place because your their gift of, of, appeals to you may be nice for you, but that makes it a, a, creates a link between you and what the person you place, but it leaves everybody else out. You know, we have it in my organization. Before I commission or ordain you, we have, you must have a what approval rating about this? 95. So if, 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 if you can get in position if you have only five people who have issues with you. So if, you, if a lot of my people have issues with you, I'm not putting you in position because it's a useless work. Why is it useless? Because they're not going to like you. They're not going to cooperate with you. They're going to do all of those subtle sabotages that people do when you don't like the leader. My work is going to be compromised. My quality is going to be downgraded. You understand that if you can't win people over, then how are you going to win my wars? If you can't win, if you can't woo my staff, win my staff, how will you win my war? So people who are put in position who shouldn't be or who are not, except, I don't care about, this is not a popularity thing. This is literally a performance matter. If, if people work best when their will is engaged. So when I, when I engage their will, you know, you all relocated here and surrendered your will to me and to my systems and to my programs. So I can't put over you people who, are called, who will cause you to be willful. I don't know if that's making sense. So when I say to you, when I say to you, no, I'm not going to ordain you, don't get mad. Don't even try because it's your job to go and find out why instead of deciding that all of the people are wrong. If you're a blamer, I will not put you in power because you'll never take responsibility for what you do. And you will, you will blame shift, put the problem on the people. You do that enough and the staff won't work with you. You will be very adverse to morale. And people will begin to challenge my leadership because you're a poor leader. They'll begin to suspect my leadership, doubt it, because how is it that I don't know that you're that unsuitable? How is it that I don't realize that you are that uncooperative? So you see, uh, and I hope that I'm talking to some of you leaders out there. Stop putting people in because they, they carry your luggage well, because they run to the cleaners. And they get to close out because they fix food and, and they mow your lawn and shovel your snow. Stop putting people in leadership because they listen to you and they like to don't do that. You put people in leadership who can be you to your people. They got to be you. And you need to train them. And while you're training, bring your best and post-step. And along the way, continue to assess because even somebody – who comes in to try to ingratiate themselves, they will, for a while, give the, the image, the facade that they're with you, but people can't hold up pretense for too long. That's why God, he, God said, 
don't lay hands on anybody rashly. Give people's time to, to prove their genuineness, their consistency, their authenticity. Because I want to know when this face is going to break down, because it's going to break down. And the assessment will tell you that. Our assessment, our MAQ will tell you that when this person comes under duress, you're only going to get success out of them four out of ten times, three out of five times. You should know that because that doesn't mean you shouldn't use them. What it means is that you need to know how to use them carefully. It tells you their strengths and weaknesses to tell you don't use this person in this area because they're not going to do it. You know, what I really love, <clears throat> and we'll talk about it a little later, but what I really love is our organizational assessment. It has a component that I absolutely adore, and this is the component. It'll take everybody that you put through that assessment, and it'll assess them individually. Then it will compile all of those who were assessed and compose a graph, a scale, a pie chart to tell you who's really running your group. So if you take so-and-so out, this is the complexion. You take, put so-and-so back and take this one out, this is what happens. So you actually can go every six months and find out what your group, the dynamics, the evolution, or the devolution, or devolution of your group. That's one of the many things that it will do. So when you, because we have, you know, and, and again, let's talk about that compromise thing. People go through. So you need to know that so-and-so is not as effective as they are. The organizational assessment will tell you, you might feel like you're supposed to build the school, but you don't have one academic drawn to you. Or the number of academics drawn to you is way too small. You're probably getting a lot of community people. It'll say, you might say, if you are an organization, you might say, you know what? We have to have a fundraiser. Then we need to look at everybody who wants to be part of the fundraiser. Because they will tell you, you don't have one person who believes in stepping out of the boat to get your money. So it's important that you know that. And again, it puts power in the hands of the leader. Leadership is not just about getting a job done through people. The psychological part of leadership is persuading people to surrender their will to your venture. That's a bigger definition. Because the minute people's will stops agreeing with you, you're going to get willfulness, you're going to get that pushback. So if you're going to do a major fundraiser and you've got 12 people to say, hey, I'm here, or 20 people, I'm here, and only 10 of them really believe in going after it, you're going to have, you'll be in a position to do what God did. 2,000 people showed up for Gideon. God said, that's too many. you got too many fearful folks in that group. I need to pare that down. We're coming to the end of this, but I just wanted to give you some ideas. So let's look at this. Possible elements of a composable assessment system. What methods and metrics would you use to assess these? Now, look at this. These are the hard 
accessible traits. We have on one side of talents, we got endowments. On the other top side of talents, we've got inborn resources. On one side, we've got knowledge. On one side of knowledge, we've got intellect. And then we got smartness. Some people are, intel- are really um, intelligent but dull. They're dense. Like you got to lay it all out for them for that intelligence to work. Oh, see, y'all didn't think that. You have to think finitely if you're going to do this. All right? Yeah, on one side, in the center, you got faculties. On one side, we got education. On the other side, we got wisdom. Sometimes wisdom outshines education. And then we have know-how. On one side of know-how, we have technology. On the other side, we have technique. On one side of capacity, we have aptitude. On the other side, we have depth. These are the more aesthetic to respond to it. We have integrity in the middle. On one side, we have veracity. On the other side, we have truth. We have ethics. On one side, we have the consciousness, and then we got the character. Lastly, we have fiduciary. One side, we have credence. The other side, we have allegiance. I ask you leaders today that are watching me, and I ask you servants today that are watching me, opened up your comprehension, your awareness of the need for assessment. Now, you'll hear arguments about, well, you know, we don't want to pigeonhole people. No, we don't. We just want to pigeonhole God. With unstable people, incompetent people, uneducated people, ill-equipped folk, inept people, we would rather into a non-performing, non-essential faith than to give God the best of the best. In the end, what you would do with this is that you would then be able to come up with your assessment. If you look at this, a scale 1 to 12, and so you could choose 1, but you have to be able to say what 1 means. You could choose 2, but what is what does 2 mean? When I say that you're, when I tell people that they're a, a, a grade 1 minister, Grade one is you're just coming alive to the idea. Well, how can you assess that because by all of the things about this, this particular area that, that, that do not speak to you? Forget about related to that. Tell me, if I say two, then I say that you're now you're moving from awareness and awakening to now a consciousness of it. I think I ought to explore this. I think this, God might be calling me to be a prophet. I think that when I say three, you are now moving from the end of the teachable phase into getting into the practicing phase. 
Now you're an apprentice. Why? Because the, because the sales answers are not at the entry threshold. But they're now in the, the reliability threshold. When you say four, we say you're ready. When you say five, we say you're you, In other words, you do this thing successfully more often than not. So I want to read two things, and then we're going to open it up, and I'm going to your time through. I know, you, and you'll find out they're not new. They've been doing this for a long time. If those of you, some of you don't have it, but you should get this book, Assessing Your Prophetic Self. We have it online. We have it on, they have it everywhere. And you, when you do, if you have it, get yours out to page 43. Assessing equals judging. Assessing involves judging. And that is okay. As much as society condemns it, the truth is people judge everything all the time, whether they are aware of it or not. Assessing relies on judging, making distinctions and comparisons between two seemingly similar items or issues in order to choose one over the other. What makes all the difference is what and how you judge. The subjects of your judgment are what classify it as negative or positive, critical or valuable. The word judgment has numerous synonyms that you should learn in order to identify what type of judgment you intend when you assess. One of those synonyms is sentence. You only want to use this word when you want to condemn somebody and follow your condemnation with punishment. There is a ruling type of judging that you would use to settle controversial matters in someone's favor. There, this is where you decide who is right and wrong by taking sides. Then there is the quite familiar verdict judgment. This is what judges and juries do during trials. Judging also decrees and issues sentences, edicts, and laws. Decrees are official and binding and require lawful authority to take effect or to be imposed. Another type of judging is arbitration, in which you settle conflicts between two or more parties, typically disputed parties. Prophets and divine communicants can typically employ judgment as a faculty rather than an action. In this case, judging relies on shrewdness. This is when your intelligence and prudence act to outsmart an opponent in order to get you out of sticky situations or act to exploit promising opportunities. Here, judgment appears as clever acumen. Discernment is another faculty of judging. This is when you dig beneath the surface of something to get at the truth. This is penetrative judgment and entails detecting differences and similarities that may benefit or jeopardize your interests. You employ your judicial faculty to gain advantage or avert crises. Two other judging faculties are judiciousness and perceptivity. They unite common sense, prudence, foresight, and insight when trying to undertake an important venture or enterprise or when acting to protect and repair threatened relationships or costly jeopardized dealings. You engage this foursome to get the long view of matters in order to assess risk or reward. 
judging from this vantage point, is weightier because it corrals and exerts wisdom to give you situational advantages that preserve instead of expose you. As you can see, judging is not a religious curse word, but a deliberative faculty that harnesses your impulses and restrains rashness. It is an intelligence-gathering mechanism that supplies you with essential information before you leap into action or reaction. In the final analysis, sound judgment is balanced, objective, and honest. To be capable of divine, to be a capable divine communicant, the responsibility of judgment is a constant function, officially or supportively. God's business, his duties and responsibilities are why you exist. His words in your mouth will, more often than not, include some form of judging as part of your normal routine. Consequential situations rest on sound judgment. Judging process encourages you to contemplate carefully to render God's mind on them. Off-the-cuff responses, approvals, or denials can ruin a divine communicant's credibility as thoughtlessness is more than a flaw in this regard. It can devastate an entire life or family line for generations. I'd like to do just this last one on assessment, and then we can have conversation. Page 143, the heading is Mastering the, Ex the Expert's Pathway. Accomplishments difference from attainment in that a task is brought to fruition by completing everything required to furnish and use it. Finishing a task means carrying all of its requirements through to the end to achieve its purpose. Achievement is rooted in the word chief to suggest the reason one attains an accomplishment. It comes about from performing with above average ability, comprehension, and proficiency. Achievement brings projects and ventures to a head, the literal meaning of the word, perhaps because of the chief implication. Beyond finishing undertakings exceptionally well, achievement rewards the achiever with gainful results. It follows that completion is more than viewable or touchable. Achievers can reap remunerative returns for their accomplishments. In most professions, going from novice to expert takes 10 to 15 years. It should be no different in the Lord's kingdom. It takes time to acquire expertise, let alone exceed mastery in any field or endeavor. Expertise encompasses knowledge and understanding, wisdom and pragmatism, intelligence, intuition, and instincts, all part of a succeeder's portfolio of attributes. Saying practice makes purpose is apropos. In this book, uh, excuse me, in his book, Outliers, author Malcolm Gladwell claims mastery of any physical or artistic skill takes at least 10,000 hours of practice. But life and death, business or family success or failure attainment are not so cut and dried. A doctor, lawyer, or other life-affecting professional including clergy, cannot do just one thing over and over and immediately see they are improving or perfecting it. No, their work is a practice in name only. It's weighty, multifaceted, and complex. 
saving, securing, and treating people and their life issues can take years. Their professional engagement, engagement demands long-term commitment to commonly practiced courses of action for recognizably achievable outcomes. No matter how one looks at it, the most reliable and responsible wisdom needed to secure the Lord's possessions does not and cannot make one an expert overnight. In some cases, not even in a decade. Those who reject the notion of acquiring expertise is a gradual process, either have very low standards for their professions or their field, or their field is not particularly skills-based. When it comes to the prophetic, God's massive, ancient, eternal kingdom has much to safeguard. His holdings and populations need vigilant protection. Comprehending the scope and intricacies of protecting his vast kingdom and its citizenry is involved and takes a while to learn. I want to finish this off. Acquiring exhaustive knowledge and skill as a prophetic messenger is methodical. You start with awakening, which leads to awareness, and then to avid interest. Interest has to move on to commitment, which in turn brings transformation and resolve. Resolve enables maturity, which then fosters competence. Highly developed competencies become exceptional when one continually exhibits superiority in one's endeavors. This is the pathway to expertise, and it is all initiated by the novice. Do not snob your novice status at the starting point. Scripture says the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Ecclesiastes 9.11. Paul's advice to Timothy about the Lord's servants being apt to teach implies they are required to more to be more than conversant. Excuse me. They are they require more than conversant knowledge in their subject. Directing your analyses and assessments to God's expectations and standards opens you to His rationale and leads you to conclude several things about your competency and expertise. And these are listed, listed below. After that, there is the importance of standards. I I encourage you to read that. On the next page, we have several word clouds to help your point. So this is a very effective tool if you want to go from opinion, opinionizing to assessing and confirming the talent and, and uh, endowment that God entrusts to you. Many churches are notorious for misusing talent, misplacing talent underestimating talent, overestimating talent. This book helps you move away from that. So now we're going to shift to shift from we're going to go back to our first page. Amen. This so I can look like we're still on the same subject. This is an extensive course. It's, it, it's tied to this book, um, but it's an extensive training which you can uh, get involved in. My my thought for you, however, is that you begin to think not so much critically and maybe only somewhat analytically, but you think more accessorily, and that is a word. I know. I looked it up. You have to think like an assessor. Well, you can't do that without training. The idea that, and many of you all are going to take the, the, the parts of what I've just said today, run with it. Slice it down, 
sliver it down because, you know, I always know that we're in trouble when the first response is that's a lot. You know, that's a lot on this subject because you're pretty well versed on yours. I should be superiorly well versed on mine. But, I mean, 38 years, I ought to be something. Hallelujah. So what I want to do is, is if you know that my prophet's chief prophet, Tyler Price, apostle of the future, Ashley Clayter, and assistant chief prophet, Angela Powers the Fourth, and this is 2020 Prophetic Plus, Wednesday Warriors Plus, and then Plus, and, and Plus. Because when you're, when you're highly talented, you're highly or constantly occupied. You're only bored because you're not using your talent. Iowa, she's one of our relocs because she came from Iowa with her two sons. She's now here as our assistant chief prophet and is amazing in her position. Now, it is easy for people to say, see, we should have gave you the gavel or something, but it's easy for people to say that everything's biased, but it's not biased. We have a track record that can document what she's done. Gauges, assessment. I don't believe in arbitrary appointments because that means that you are going to have an arbitrary service. If I have a good day, you're going to have a good way. If I have a bad day, you might face injustice, unfairness, and all sorts of things. One, one quality thing about writing out, look at you, and you know we love you. We're going to make you the judge. <laughs> That's perfect for you, the judge. And so... One of, the, it, it, one of the things you should know is that it's ideal to write your criteria, to write job descriptions. When we appoint people, there are descriptions. That's how come we can say you're not doing it. We have a scale, and we have a list of duties and responsibilities and ranges of service. You need that for people to feel safe. One of the things I said to my church, I want you to feel safe under my leadership and not always vulnerable not always unstable. I don't know when you're going to, you know, when that female chick going to come up, when that, you know, male envy going to happen. I don't know. You know, we got a whole lot of things that we've got to balance that writing it out and criterializing it helps. And so when I say you can do it, I'm, I may be doing a spider chest assessment in my mind, but it is based on all that I've written, all that I've produced. Now, I've just told you the book that speak into that. We have a, I have a ton of material that does a whole lot of other things. So I can criteriate who you are. Yeah, I'm making up words, but I wrote a dictionary, so y'all just might just watch. Okay. 
Yeah, criteria rate. Okay, that's what I'm doing. So I'm doing criteria and rate, put it together. Hey, so, but I want you to recognize that in our organization, even under near new era apostleship restitution, we don't we don't swing from the tree, we don't shoot from the hip, and we don't do knee jerk responses. And all that I've written and everything that I've talked about here today, and all of the things that we've set up for assessment, are to the end that you don't have to be subject to that or vulnerable to it. So if you have an issue with us not swinging from the rafters, I don't know what God told me. That's, you know. You see, you know. See, if you guys could do all of that gyration, it's because you have no information. Because when you are informed and educated, you are calm and competent. You're poised and composed because you want to get the intelligence out, not just the impression. Thank God for the intelligence. So we don't do that. And I encourage those of you who are in leadership to begin to distinguish yourself and elevate yourself by situating your style in the domain of the Almighty. God gave us a Bible full of everything I just discussed. I know it because I researched the Word. So why would he bother even doing it if it wasn't useful? You know, one of my researches, I, I, when I was researching uh, a word for law, it said kings write down law and government when they have to rule from afar. So I'm not going to be in every meeting with myself. I'm not going to be part of every I earned my way out. I worked myself out of a job. Holly, look at you. That's right. She got the sweat, the sweat of my brow, baby. See, I no longer have a lot of sweat on my brow. So we want to move now into the advisor part. So I'm going to have every advisor take just a few minutes to tell you who they are, how they came to be an advisor and how this pool enables them to do two things, mentor and monetize their mantle. Yeah. You the chief? All right. All right. We just read about you. Yeah, we did. Okay. And, and, and achievement. <laughs> achievement. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, praise God, Chief Prophet Tyler Price, been working with Dr. Price. Well, really, we've been, we've been always working. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Okay, and that has how that is how it has been um, all the years I've known her. Um, so, um, but we concentratively launched the assessments in 2008 um, when we actually kicked off PPM Global Resources, which became our for-profit company, and it was based on the assessments um, and setting a whole system, like she said, a career path for the prophetic and for-profit around the assessment and kind of taking it, like you said, out of that instinctual knee-jerk, you know, uh, response to giving it a concrete, you know, tool in which we could measure and, and literally uh, properly place. Because that was, uh, that was really a, a passion for you at the time that sometimes people were not operating um, 
just out of rebellion or even dysfunction. It was improper placement. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, they were constantly having their weaknesses showcased instead of their strengths because they weren't operating in the right position. So we, uh, you know, really utilized the assessments early on for the churches. Our test groups were churches to help them do that. So when we were, yes, and we had we had quite a few test subjects before we actually went live with the assessments. And so they were able to give us such positive feedback about knowing what would it, what it was like to switch those people to those positions and finding out that strength was coming to the ministry, mm-hmm. okay, instead of confusion and all of those kinds of things. So we started training in the assessments or how to advise in the assessments back in 08. Um, and at that time, my goodness, we, were, we had just gotten ordained in 06. So Ashley and I, she was prophet then. Um, And so we were trying to wrap our heads around, okay, so, Lord, what does this mean, and how are we going to be able to uh, facilitate this in the lives of people? What was so great about it is that she wrote down, literally, like you guys just get a synopsis, but she wrote down for us as advisors a full-scale explanation, like she said, the weights and the gauges. But with each one of those, um, it's an apostle she has in her binder, um, what each one of those segments mean, mm-hmm. every gift, every word, all of those major things in your synopsis come with um, a lot of explanation um, in terms of how, we, how that's going to look in performance. So she didn't just write words as narratives, but she peopleized them. Mm-hmm. So we took that and, okay, this is the PAQ advance here. <laughs> right, that's, this, is, this is what you don't get. Okay, well, well no, no, this is, yeah, but, no, but, but they get this part, is that right? They, this part. They, they get, get this part. part. That's the part that you all see. And then that. Yeah. Uh, well, no, the advanced level might get this. Let me see what's contained in here. Okay, they don't get the compass. No, they don't get any of that. They get the compass, so praise the Lord for you never knowing that. Um, but, uh, but they can when they become a client. They can when you become a client, yes, because she actually writes down job description so that she shows you how to perform it. So that it's not just a matter of it being words, but, okay, so what does this word look like in action? So how can I go back and then assess myself, even based on my own assessment? Mm-hmm. That's what happens in these, is that okay to say, these 55 pages mm-hmm. um, that we have, uh, that you guys don't get a chance to see, but we use when we're actually advising you. And mentoring. They're, yeah. and men- they're great for mentorship. If you're going to do prophetic mentorship, it's great to have these. I don't know if one day you'll let the, the public mentors have them. I don't know. Don't Look at her face. She said No. <laughs> Secrets well, up. you know why? Because we don't have enough continuity and congruency. Okay. We still have too much disparity in views and perspectives. So we'll have this wonderful tool out there, and they'll say, well, this is what she wrote, but that's not what I agree with, but this is how I see it. I would love it. Like, I would love to train millennials in because oh. they are so, you know, they're my base, you know. But I would love to, but, but so many of them so filled with the old ways, and a lot of them won't shift. I mean, when we talk about the kid that told me, I'm not an apostle. I'm like, I'm twice your age. How are you going to tell me? Well, I think what's so, and what I think is so powerful about what you brought out today is that, again, um, us being so used to doing measurable by our own performance or delivery and not about the fruit, mm-hmm. you know, of the mantle and how, you know, this forces you to look at your fruit, mm-hmm. not just look at your expression. You have to go back and say, oh, am I bearing actual fruit in these mm-hmm. people's lives and what is the product of the of me extending myself yeah. into someone else um, so I think that that was powerful we've been doing this now since 2008 and we have assessed over I don't know how many thousands of people my favorite is the organizational assessment because I think it's a powerful tool for organizations to find out what kind of organization they are or forming 
by the people they are attracting. Mm-hmm. So that's what's great about doing this job and why as prophets it's amazing because you get a chance to, like you said, bring intelligence to your in- intuition, your instincts, and even the prophetic things that God's giving you. So that's what's excellent about doing this job. Amen. Very, very good. Okay, Apostle Ashley, starting as a prophet, moving to an apostle. My, my, my. James Wright, he said, take the assessment. Change my life. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Change my life. Um, going from prophet to apostle, this is my PAQ advance. Mm-hmm. And I look at it like every year, every other year, and go back through it because the information is still very relevant. And what is funny now, that wasn't so funny <laughs> then, is how... The PAQ, because uh, I served as the assistant chief prophet, lays the trail for you, friend, um, <laughs> from 2006 up until. And um, it shows here, came up, uh, you know, chief prophet and then uh, apostolic prophet mm-hmm. as a secondary. And then the environment in which I would see the greatest fruit is leadership. <laughs> and what year was this? Uh, I don't know. This was... 2010? This is 2010. 2010. Yeah. So I think I think this was, yes, because we, we took all the, when she was rolling and cranking them out, we were taking them. So I think the last time I was able to take this was that, because then we started doing so many advisements, we could no longer take <laughs> the assessments. So she rolls out a new one with a whole new batch. Of, well, I took the ADQ coming into commissioning. but um, And so then it, it also talks about level, came up 79% advanced. But then it said, that I had capped at, like, the gifting level and recommended that I take the ADQ because I was in all likelihood called to the office of the apostle. Now, this was way back then when nobody, I, we just did this. We'll think about that another decade. (laughs) But it it is that decade now. It is. But the results say and tell you when you should explore Another one, um, even what I like about the PAQ beginner is if somebody falls on the beginner level and they're called to more, it'll tell you, okay, explore intercession, blah, blah, blah. But if you are not called to that office, like you talked about, the below accessible yeah. range, it will say you are in all likelihood not called to this office. Take the MAQ to see where you belong. Mm-hmm. And you really can't pull the system because you can have a lot of knowledge. But like in, the, in your book, you wrote the difference, I think, between faculty, mm-hmm. right? You talked about faculty. Yeah. You read that. Uh, you may not have the faculties of the office. Mm-hmm. And so even talking about going from prophet to apostle, a lot of giftings prophetically, mm-hmm. a lot of other things, but the faculties of the prophet were not there. No. And mm-hmm. so I could score high on knowledge. I could score high on gift. I could do whatever. But every category that spoke to being in the office of the prophet was low. And it was, and it was like, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> Go this way. And but having <laughs> turn right in the next exit. But having a leader oh, like you get off this floor. Get off. <laughs> yeah. Get off this floor. Why are you here mm-hmm. again? Um, but having a leader like you to know, yeah, but you're going to stay here for a while because you're nowhere near ready. Nobody was arguing here. But at the same time, it explained why so many prophetic things just didn't open, didn't click. I'm like, okay. that is so. Not me. Like, I get it when they do it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why can't I do that? Why, yeah, why do you just think of me like uh, that? When I go to sleep, I don't have dreams like that. Uh, when I, you know, man, I don't hear from God. So really, is that how it is? 
for? Look behind somebody's eyes to see what is happening prophetically. <laughs> that I and and years ago it was a tremendous sense of uh, a source of inferiority mm-hmm. that I really had to work through because I I was so inferior as a prophet and I knew it. And I was in the assistant chief position, so leadership-wise, I could definitely do the job. But I thought, man, I just feel like I am so falling short in all of these other areas compared to the other prophets. And going uh, through all that, which was still very necessary to learn the disciplines prophetically, uh, to be next to you, who wrote the prophet's dictionary, trained prophets with prophets, being raised up with the prophets, still essential. And we still send, even now, our up-and-comings from the ground up who are showing those apostolic traits, they still come up through the prophets. Oh, everybody got to come through. If you're going to be an apostle, you're going to come through the prophets because Jesus got his apostles from John the Baptist. Prophet. Yes. A lot of them he got from John the Baptist. That was John the Baptist's era. Well, and you don't have the, the sympathies, the empathies of the prophets, especially as an apostle, since we know the, the uh, innate nature is just a crush. And so... I'm like, we have met so many apostles, you just want to crush prophets, just crush them. And get rid of them, kick them out. If I come in here, I'm just going to crush everybody. I'm going to put these prophets in their place. I want to do uh, I mean, we used to go to conferences, apostolic conferences, where that's all they, a lot, not all, a lot of what they talked about, or for sure, when the subject of the prophet came up, was just about ripping the institution apart, putting these prophets in their place, letting them know they're not whatever, and and she would sit and go toe to toe in these meetings, like guys, what are we talking about here? You just and and prophets having you know bullseyes on their backs a lot in the mm-hmm. kingdom, especially from a lot of apostles who just want to go after them and just take them out like target practice mm-hmm. or something, and say what prophet they took down today, and and and, and so coming up through that also gave me that insight into the purpose of the mantle. So you can protect the people yeah. when you know how to protect the office and the mantle. I agree. Well, two things I'd like to point out, too, on what you brought up. The first thing is that I knew that she was not a prophet because her words were never like a prophet. And having come up in the prophetic and having some real good exposure to it, I could measure. Because there is an element of intuitiveness and astuteness that you need to be able to determine discern, detect, and discern. And then that while they're synonyms, they don't mean the exact same thing. So um, so when I, when I thought about it, I said, but, you know, she's, I listened to her prophecy, and I said, she's accurate, but she's not that. I was ecstatic, and I will continue to say this until I go home to be with the Lord. My daughter, who's been prophesying since she was four, surprised. I didn't throw her out there like people do. I mentored and nurtured her and kept her protected so her mantle would grow, would be established and grow up around and through her gift, not her gift going out there mantling. And so. So I would not, I trained her. And we used to have training every Saturday morning when she became a teen. And she'd come with her little Bible and her book, and we would train her. And now now I'm training her as I'm evolving. So that is why. But I am grateful for that because that is what gave me some uh, ability to recognize the classic 
markers of a prophet. And with those, even because she's an apostolic prophet, even the similarities to be able to say, you are that, that apostleship right now, and you as an adjective, not a noun. And still, I mean, she does a phenomenal course on uh, finding your silence. Is that right? You all should try to find that. It is one of the things that will keep prophets who are apostolic but not apostles out of the office because if they throw you in the office too soon, you'll be judged. You'll be judged because the office has got to be vetted by the seven angels of, the seven of God's church. So, um, so, and so I, I was able to hear that she did not, I mean, this girl could go places in the prophetic. Me and her, we were talking about, I said, well, oh, Jesus. She can go places, all matter-of-factly, and did it from a time. You know what I mean? She was like eight years old teaching, and, um, and, and, and it, uh, it was always prophetic. So I had a really good in-house uh, specimen that would make me able to do it. But on the other hand, Ashley was the specimen to let me see a prophet in the making, a, a, an apostle in the making, through the template of the prophet. And so I was able to come up with those, those differentials and those variables and notice that, I mean, and, and, and the spirit of, like, if we were sitting around and I was training and they were giving words, I mean, Jesus would switch his prophet self to his apostle self, and you could feel the difference. We often talk about that. Some of our audience can tell you they, that in the June event with the prophets, is extremely different from the one in November with the You hear them. You hear them. Everybody's like, well, I came in June. I'm fine. No, no, no. No, no, no. 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 They're like, no, no, no. No, they're no, not no. the same. The mantle of Jesus Christ will attend to whatever the office concentration exhibits. And so because June prophets are a lot. I'm not trying to respond. I love apostles. I am one. But yeah, prophets are fun. They are like lively and lighthearted and party, and, I'm, and they tear you up, but you're so happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my arms cut off. <laughs> and then, you know, the prophets make you thank you for finding my sin. I didn't know where it was. Apostles are legislators. They are disseminators. They are regulated. They are different, and so they're going to take what that prophet does and put it into constitutional order and structure. So we have that prophet being that institution, and that apostle bringing the constitution of the Almighty. So I say that to you to say that it was wonderful for me to be able to have these two specimens, and that and that's just the two that were immediate. When I started going out and I started ministering and teaching prophets and, and teaching apostles, when I started doing all of that, I was able to find point. That's why I can write what I do, because I don't broad stroke. These are not brush strokes for me. I find point, these distinctions, these variables, and the, and the dividing line where they one separates from the other. I thought that was pretty good. We needed to make that statement. Prophet Angela, 
Yes. Well, first let me say that that teaching you were just referencing, Dr. Price, uh, where Chief Prophet is talking about the apostolic prophet, and she talks about finding your silence. It's actually in our PPM Global Resources store in a wonderful package that's been created called Prophets of the Future. So listen, you got to go. You got to grab that package. You got to hear what she's talking about in that message. So yes, I am Assistant Chief Prophet Angela Powers. So glad to be with you. And assessing is actually what <laughs> led me uh, to this seat of advisement, mentorship, and assessment. Uh, I had reached a time in my life, well, first I came across the Prophet's Dictionary, okay, and ended up having a series of events where I was looking for something and needed more detail. And as a result of the book, I had found Dr. Price on Block Talk Radio at that particular time. So I called in. Mm -hmm. on a particular day because the book had taken me so far and I needed something that I had to go to the being for. <laughs> since we've been talking yeah, about that. The thing versus the being. Yes, since we've been talking about that. Right. I reached a place that I had to go to the being for. And so I called in. Uh, she answered what this thing was. And I found out that day on the show um, that, there, that they had an assessment. Before that, I didn't know about that at all until I listened to the show. And I had been in a place in my life at that time where I was trying to determine if I was more than a pastor. Mm -hmm. I was having different things going on. And I was like, I think there's something more here. I'm not sure if it's this or if it's that. So when I found out about the assessment, I took it. You know, I'm not the kind of person that sends God lust intercession <laughs> where you want him to answer you the way you want to be answered. Wait, 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 hold on. Hold on. Hold, 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 hold. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Well, <laughs> lust intercession. All right. We just had to process that. <laughs> Y'all forgive us, but every now and then, the Holy Ghost gives you these woo! Okay. All right. Okay, we're, we're we're coming back. We're we composed. We're composed. So when you uh, advertise and announce the assessments, I knew that that was God's answer to me. I had reached this place. I'd done all I could with self-study. You know, it's like trying to make a cake with a teaspoon of flour. Mm -hmm. Assessments are important because as you walk us through, they're built on expertise. Yes, they they reach into a level of knowledge that you don't have. And the first thing that we have to do is admit what we don't have if we're going to ever enter into what we might be able to have mm -hmm. or to be. Uh, so I took that journey myself first. I was assessed. I had my assessment call with Chief Prophet Tala. From there, I'm like, this is amazing. I want to be mentored. You know, she's telling me about the mentorship. I'm like, this is exactly what I need. Uh, and so we entered into that process. And now years later, after process and, and, and progress, mm -hmm. <laughs> hallelujah, uh, I finally have the privilege of being able to do that with many of you. But wait a minute. Your, your mentor, you are now your mentor's assistant, and you are her product. Amazing. Never would have at that time <laughs> envisioned that that would be the outcome. I knew the outcome would be great because the organization is brilliant. You are a brilliant leader. She is a brilliant mentor. So I had definite faith and confidence in what the product would be. But like you said, the gift belongs to the individual, but the office belongs to the institution. Mm -hmm. I had no way of really grasping the way that the institution would impact my life and what it would cause me to be. But let's ask, okay, let me ask you this. 
having been on both sides of this roadway, what would you say, now that you are here, what would you say you got that you would have missed had you stayed on the, the popular gift guide and supposed to where you are now? Beyond the office, let's just say beyond your assignment, your official appointment here as a prophet, what would you tell somebody out there that well, they're risking? Oh, you're, you're risking so many things. Well, first of all, since I was someone who was actually operating in ministry, you're risking endangering other lives. I think that's the first thing, that you can only affect or take people as far as whatever knowledge, development, training, education that you have. If, if I had not entered into this process, so many people that would have perhaps come along my path would have been limited and stunted. And I watch many leaders, even some of those that are still my friends, mm-hmm. right, still people that uh, function a certain way, and I can look at people in their houses, in their ministries, who are being held at a certain place, and I now know that it's because of the ceiling of not having made that journey, mm-hmm. of not having come out of that gift or position. Um, then in your own life and development, your own soul, your own entire makeup takes on a whole other form. It takes a whole other level of density, mm-hmm. substance, um, I, I want to say evolution, even augmentation, uh, is what your entire makeup goes mm-hmm. through. You're not just your spirit, mm-hmm. okay, but your soul and even your body. And so there... I, I could probably be far more sick than I am, uh, far more struggling financially, a lot of different areas that I could really map out and say that this lane would have continued to produce this particular outcome. And one of our issues is that we are deluded into believing that we can stay in that same vein, those same routines, those same lanes, and somehow end up with another outcome, right, as if it's just going to be magical, right, and in Instead, what, we, what happens is we get led off by the decoys of destiny. Mm-hmm. And if you decoy long enough, you end up with the decoy Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, and, and if you're leading people, then that's where you're going to begin to trail them off mm-hmm. into as well. Powerful. You saved me from decoys. This process saved me from the decoys of destiny. Woo. God, that's good. Can we just give God a praise? Woo. Good stuff. You were going to say something? Oh, did you want to say something? No. Okay. Because I got, I got a question. You said no. You don't want to follow up. I don't want to. I don't want to mess with that. That's that's holding me home. That's a package by itself. We're gonna just leave that right there, decoy. But you said something that I think, uh, even after hearing you speak, it, it makes this even more um, pungent. Uh, the people who come through the training program trying to stay in their old old lane, mm-hmm. and the short circuiting of the development that happens mm-hmm. because you want to stay in that lane. Now, you came here for something new, but I, someone said it. I will actually give a shout-out to Prophet Lisa Thompson for that. She said, I will have, I had to, when I heard Dr. Price, she said, I had to go and pray and consecrate before I actually made the decision. That sounds just like her. Okay, just before like her. I made the decision to actually come under this. She said, because I recognize that I'm not coming to the mountain of new information. <laughs> I'm coming to the mountain of transformation. <laughs> that she's asking me to. Ooh. Be something else, not learn something new. Come on, somebody. And so I do give her a shot. Yes, another uh-huh. mentee of mine. Yeah, she's a mentee. She's a brilliant it. lady. Oh, my God, amazing. And, and she said that. She said, so when I came back, because it was two years or mm-hmm. something like that. She can tell you the time frame. But she said, that's why when I came back later, I said, okay. 
I'm ready to be something new. I'm ready to be something different. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to be transformed into another product. Like we said, it's not a thing but a being, Mm -hmm. right? So she was ready to become that being. And that's what I saw in her instantaneously. There's a sound and there's a frequency when you're a mentor that you can hear when somebody doesn't just want the information. They're not here for snatching grabs. They're actually here to embody. And when we would be on these phone calls, she's like an umbilical cord. She's like... And y'all hear how she preaches. So, okay. like, so imagine being on the phone, and I'm just meeting this, this woman. And so she's like, so when you say, so when Dr. Price breaks up, I want to understand the inside anatomy of this. Like, how is she expecting us to perform this dynamically when we're talking about going out there and trying to, you know, beyond metaphorically change people? She's that brilliant. Okay, so <laughs> all right. So that's Stop. <laughs> But you don't, and what I like about her is because it's because always people say homegrown fruit, homegrown fruit. She was in Iowa. Yeah, this is I. Yeah, okay. I, I'm, I just oh, had, I wanted to bring no, that I out. That, okay, though. I just wanted to bring that piece that. out because. Well, how many of y'all from Tulsa? Hold up your hand. Okay. In the audience, not one hand. Talk about, oh, did I have one hand? No. no, not one. None of y'all homegrown. Because always people say that. Well, you guys are powerful and punchy because you're homegrown. Mm-hmm. She is. She is in the same likeness of the, of the constitution of Dr. Price's anointing yes, she because she, wanted, she didn't want to be a decoy, and she was willing to come out of her lane. She didn't come to the mountain of information. Um, she really didn't want to be transformed. Oh, I think that is such a powerful, powerful – is that something? And, and, and what, I, what I really like is the fact that when I got her, I said, but this girl, she is a let's do it God's way and I'm shedding my way. I'm shedding it. You know, I'm, and I need to make that point that I am not an additive. I'm a preservative, but I'm not an additive. I'm actually, <laughs> I am actually a curative. I'm not an additive. And people who want to add to what sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so said, we've had people that say, I want to stay faithful to my mentor. You don't get me. You go to my university. You can go into general classes. I will not put you in special anything because what is the point? I'm not going to have, uh, have to audition and then rival the person that you feel you want to stay connected to. Go to get the general information. We love you. Get the general, but you will never be on my team. Because we need like-mindedness. Having graduated this and the things that you're you're teaching currently. Start again. Okay, so she's what she just said moments ago. Because you're showing that education. Your education is biotic, mm-hmm. and you keep saying it that. It's, it's not, biotic. okay, we're not talking about something that's just informative, mm-hmm. but because it's biotic, it's designed to create a being. Exactly. It's not designed to, you know, just give you an expression or something new to say. And so I love the fact that you say that you're not this additive. No, because, I'm not additive. Yeah, because that's how we end up with these bipolar, you know, dysfunctional and these disorders in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of bipolarism because they're, they're trying to be both people. Mm-hmm. They're trying to be loyal to both, so they end up really with personalities. We're talking about theory of personality. Yeah. We're trying to break down the theory of personality in the church because they're adopting every personality type of every yeah. leader mm-hmm. that touched their lives and not being willing to shut those down. So you got multiple. Because it's like yeah. 25 people in there. It's 25 people in there, 25 anointings, so, 25 doctors. Okay. 25 Who am I talking everything. to today? I love it. Who, who are we talking to? 
I want to have you close it out, Apostle Ashley, but I want to read this. Are you ready? Oh, sure. Uh-huh. You sure? Uh-huh. Okay, make it. your comment, and okay. then we'll come back. Sure. Well, I, even speaking to the, the homegrown comment, I think a lot of times in the body of Christ, we diminish the process in somebody when we see that they have achieved something and, and can often make excuses like, well, your journey wasn't hard like mine. Uh, you know, I'm just saying the things we've heard. Yeah. Well, it was just different because you were young and so on and so forth and on and on and on, and that's why you were able to do this. Oh, and my so gosh. anytime people are looking to worm their way out of meeting standards, mm-hmm. they diminish your achievement of those standards yeah, they do. by saying maybe you took – now, we done told y'all Dr. Price was our teacher in the classroom, not online, not watching a pre-recorded lecture. Oh, no. And y'all had class twice a week, four hours of class. Yeah. Twice a week, four hours. With Dr. Price, just close to your face. And then had 10 to 12 hours of homework because I told him, I, uh, I, 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 I produced the elite. I'm not going to apologize. That's why y'all are in the university. Now, listen, we just graduated work. from ORU and thought, did we just do anything before we came <laughs> to, to, this, to this school? And and had to and when when Dr. Price is grading your keyword study, when Dr. Price is grading your topical scripture study, and then you're giving a live in classroom presentation, and this is your teacher, and and yeah, so <laughs> yes, and and so uh, you know I just want to encourage people don't diminish somebody else's achievements or make excuses for why you feel their journey wasn't harder then yours or your your thing is different than or theirs and, or equivalent to, and I was there and all that kind of stuff because we, we typically don't do that professionally outside of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We recognize uh, somebody's longevity as being a sign of, wow, you have overcome and you have whatever, whatever. But when you are looking to diminish, then you really do just diminish anybody else's mm-hmm. achievements. Well, you mm-hmm. want to subdue people, other people's victories and other people's triumphs. You want to subdue it beneath your mediocrity because I don't want to put in the time. I don't want to risk my family. I don't want to. You know, my biggest issue that I love, uh, and, and, and that is, well, I read Dr. Price's book. We use your book so we know that you have the same education. And this is my life. But it is the same So 
I don't know, maybe they'll advertise it, but we have that. And then there is also the fact that we have got to break the, uh, and re-invert the idea that emotionality is superior to intelligence. You know, your emotions are to stalk in your intelligence, but your intelligence are to substantiate your emotions. And we need the two working together. We need that intelligence and that emotionality. Because if we don't, you're going to end up with people that we have now. The church is so mushy, it can't stand for anybody. It can't even stand for a wonderful meal. It, it collapses on anything because it, it, it's marshmallow. We got this marshmallow church today. Not all of it, but enough of it to cripple at least handicap what God wants to do. Mm-hmm. And then we have the other side, this emotional hardness, where you cannot even get a person to, to feel what it's like to judge. So they don't know that judgments are not tempered by tenderness. You know, we have a season, and I, and I judge my prophets on this very strongly. You are not really ready for public consumption until your evil eye take on dumb eye. As long as your evil eye, an evil eye prophet, an evil eye apostle, there's always going to see the wrong. Yes. And they're always looking for prey. Something to destroy. Something to diminish. Something to criticize. That's an evil eye. And, and, and you cannot be a part of the shepherding uh, function that Jeremiah talked about. Until you get dumb out. That is why Jesus became flesh. He said he learned obedience by what he suffered, not what he succeeded at, but he suffered. So he had to come and let us know what would make him a faithful high priest over the things of God. So when, when I have a prophet that's always fighting, always fighting the, the wrong, the, the evil, the wicked, immediately I know that we have a whole lot of arrogance. I'm going to crush some things. I am not gonna. I'm not. I'm gonna crush. Yeah. Did I not crush y'all? Oh no! And I told her I'm crushing. I'm gonna make this the hardest thing you ever did in your life because that's what Satan's gonna do. Yeah. He's gonna make it the hardest thing you ever do. And so, yeah, we may not. You know, as it stands, I can't tell you that we got the thousands that we will eventually get. But I'll tell you, I made a deal with God. I said, I'm gonna give you the best of the best. Yeah. Now, if, I, and if that's ten, I'm gonna give you the ten best. God, Jesus gave God 11, and he could be even 12, but Jesus was the best. He was the best betrayer. He was the best devil that God could have. He, he got the job done. You know? And, and so, but we keep giving God mess because we feel like we so sympathize and empathize with the challenges of becoming great that we don't want to put that on the people that we will promote. Hmm. See? So I told him, no, you go, no, no, I don't care about your ego. I, I do not care that you have a quote. I don't care. Do you know what I got? Words. And I love them. I could spend 15 minutes for God and come back with a volume of text. <laughs> I could look at a salt shaker and get a word from the Lord. So that can't be it. Yes, I do. You know, God said every word must be seasoned with salt. Got a word? Got me a prophecy. Let the let the song of God's grace. And I'm saying that to you to say, I told you, if you think, you know, I'm no, like, there you go, there you go, you better know it. And you know what, I wear clouds. I got a cloud. And so I'm saying this to you because I really want.
want you to understand that if you are basing your prophetic career on verbalizing and predicting your gift, your concept of all of the, the circumference of the prophetic that you are supposed to maintain, you don't know, superintend. So that's important. I'm going to close this on this, and then we'll see. Y'all, you all got questions? Anybody got questions? Y'all got questions? Comments? Huh? All right. I'll just go out and see the sun. Okay, but I'm going to close this on a statement on something that you should know. This is page 137. Of assessing your prophetic self, go buy it, require your people to study it, add it to your curriculum as a required text, and utilize it, use it to develop assessment tools or assessment instruments that you can employ before you deploy your students. Prophetic intelligence, it seems befitting to end the primer with a discussion of prophetic intelligence. Now, this is ministerial. You can put in it's evangelical. You can put in any of the fivefold. You can put in any of the supporting gifts. You can write yours about prophetic so you know that it's speaking to what you're doing. Each chapter has examined assessment differently to impress upon you what it takes to create one. The main qualifier for assessment is thinking. Several primary sections have discussed how indispensable this all in prophetic staple is. I have particularly stressed the need for critical thinking and the unviability of any sort of non-thinking assessment. God is a thinker, and assessment relies on thinking. Aside from thinking, assessment integrity standardizes three principal actions, appraising, evaluating, and integrity. Excuse me, and judging. I jumped the line. Assessment captures assessing current education and ability. To these ends, assessing stresses critical thinking, a powerful intellectual faculty. Link critical thinking and intelligence to God's prophetic, and you realize the dire need for a prophetic assessment tool or a ministerial assessment tool. Defining prophetic intelligence. Prophetic intelligence is spiritual plus predictive plus revelatory intelligence. Intelligence connects life's dots. It perceives solutional information that turns knowledge into know-how. Intelligence responds to life's opportunities and obstacles, answering what to do and when to do it. The intelligent prophet or prophesier is recognized by sound judgment and level-headedness. Habitually, deep thinking trains this, me- this messenger early on to maintain control and quickly regain it should the need arise. Intelligent prophetic types exude a forceful temperament. Did we not just see this in this Forceful, because... You are going to be forceful when you develop and cultivate power. All your powers have will, will, will translate into a force when you exert them or even just utilize them. All right, a forceful temperament and baffling emotional and intellectual balance, particularly when handling prophetic duties. 
solid mental faculties show this pathetic type to be brilliant and at times cunning. Highly intelligent prophets with these attributes should guard against an undisciplined perspective and conduct or manipulative behavior. Messages emanating from God's prophetic intelligence revolve around the spirit and letter of his word. Unanimously, this group eagerly grasped his different laws and scripture, seeing them as constitutional, as constitutional and healthy directives. They have little difficulty understanding how it all fits together and instinctually comprehend God's sovereign act today. That is not what we're seeing in most of these prophets. They cannot tap into God's sovereign act today. They must be taught how not to lean on their own understanding and what it looks like to do so. Vivid clarity aids prophetic intelligence whenever they encounter knowledge. Something akin to a floodlight goes off in them when they encounter God's wisdom and counsel. Illumination seems to answer and inform them almost immediately. Rapid thoughts and even speedier perceptions keep this prophetic type far ahead of peers in numerous ways. God's prophetic spirit tempers these messages head knowledge, although they never ignore or shun it. Prophets, aside from Adam who fell, prophets characterize God's most primitive and archetypical intelligence. So for them to decide that they don't want to be educated or that they want these these um, speedy educational courses is for them to really do themselves and the Lord a disservice because the best of them never get tapped into. The best of them never mushrooms and grows. You'll hear people say, well, you know, when God wants it, he'll do it. God wants it from the beginning. He already told us his model. So I pray that this was a blessing to you. I pray that you share this over and over and over again and use it in various ways. But I want to encourage you, get the book, listen to this again, as I said, but also spread it to your friends. But before you decide to use it against somebody, let's follow Ezra 710. You're going to learn it, do it, and then spread it. Because see, we want to enforce it. Okay? You're going to teach it last, not first. We like to do that, which is why we're shopping God. You uh, boomerangs our education back on. You're like, hey, that's not me. I thought I was over that. So anyway, long story short, we shortened it. Uh, Take the assessment. Have your people take the assessment. Use them. Find out how to become one of our advisors. We could use a lot more. Prophetic Ed needs a lot more advisors. Find out how to do it. Uh, But expect that you are going to be Transform, not just inform, and not even just reform. Reform is to put you back to before you got trained. That's not what we're going after. Hallelujah. Listen, share it, share it, share it, and sow seeds. They'll tell you how to sow seeds for me online for all of this great work that I'm doing. And yes, you're good. Amen. God bless you. Amen. She said, okay, I'm about to take off. So. Yeah. Thank you, Pink. 